0: can work for you by downloading the app or visiting wise.com slash travel. That's wise.com slash travel. Thank you to Wise for supporting today's show. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available. Intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at nissanusa.com. I'm so inspired by the idea that you can have an amazing travel adventure any day of the week Right outside of your front door, and my guest today is proof of that. Him and his buddy, after a few pints in the pub, decided to do this 900 mile bike ride through the UK, but the thing is, they started in their underwear. They started in their boxer shorts, they had no clothes, no money, and they didn't have a bike either. (laughs) You're going to hear all about what that experience was like advice around creating your own adventure in this style i mean maybe you don't want to start a trip in your underwear (laughs) which is understandable but you'll see what i mean as we dig into this conversation why you may want to design your own trip like this your own adventure and why it's totally possible plus some of the worst and best things about traveling without money incorporating adventure into your daily life and so much more on top of that I've got a shout-out to somebody in this beautiful listening community here who shared some tips around virtual travel. I thought this was really helpful and cool, so I wanted to share it with you. All of that and more is coming right now, so buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here, and welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. You're listening to the Zero to Travel Podcast, where we explore exciting
1: travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest
0: travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey, what's up? It's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is a show to help you travel the world on your terms, to fill your life, With as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. Yesterday, I sat in a ladybug. (laughs) Yes, I went to an amusement park here in Norway where I live and had a blast. It was a day filled with garbage food, which is, you know, part of the theme park experience, isn't it? Participated in some games of chance. I would like the old fashioned term, you know, those carnival games where you think you can, you know, hit the mallet and get the chicken in the bucket, but the bucket's spinning and it's almost impossible to do, but they make you think like you can somehow do it. And then you're tantalizingly close. So you try again and then you give them another five bucks and another five bucks. And next thing you know, you're out 25 bucks. But hey, I'm not saying that happened. Maybe it happened. <laughs> But it was a blast. Hope you're doing well. Hope you had a wonderful July as we come to the end of this at the time of recording. Summer is. I mean, the leaves are starting to fall down from the trees here in Norway. It's not fall yet, but you know, it's it's starting to sneak up a little bit here. Anyway, let's talk about today's show. George Mayhood is the guest. You heard at the top what he did, and he wrote one of my favorite travel books about. The experience. We talk about the book and relate this really back to the idea that you can truly have an adventure right out of your front door <laughs> and it can be really anything you want. You're only limited by your creativity. And I found this concept, this interview, a lot of the takeaways from it uh, inspiring, educational, thoughtful in the way that, again, it, it, putting it through the filter of travel, what do some of these ideas and these concepts mean for future trips So I hope this gets you thinking as well. By the way, this conversation was recorded a while back. This is part of the archives. I have over 400 shows now. And I thought it would be a good time this month to pull some select episodes out, share some of my favorites, and hear them with fresh ears. The world's changed a lot since this interview was recorded. And I wanted to bring this back to just reintroduce that concept that uh, really adventure can be had Any day of the week, right outside your front door if you choose it. So please enjoy my chat with George Mayhood. Stick around. After the interview segment, we're going to give a shout out to somebody in the community, those tips for virtual travel, and I'll leave you with a little quote. Enjoy the chat and I'll see you on the other side. I am psyched to have my guest today because he wrote one of my favorite travel books of all time and definitely the funniest it's called free country a penniless adventure the length of great britain and i'm going to shut up now because i want you to hear all about it from him george mayhood it's an honor to have you here and welcome to the zero to travel podcast my friend
1: Thanks for having me on, Jason. What what an introduction. That's um, very kind, yeah.
0: Yeah, I usually go on and on because it's such an epic thing, but your book was hilarious, and I I need to hear it in your words. So can you give us the quick and dirty overview on this sort of crazy adventure?
1: Of course, yeah. So basically, it was a a fairly sort of basic plan that a friend and I had that we'd cover the whole length of Great Britain from Land's End, which is the most southwesterly point of Great Britain, all the way up to John O'Groats, which is pretty much the most northeasterly point of Scotland. And Land's End to John Groats has become quite a sort of recognised route for people to, to cycle um, over the last few years. It's kind of a sort of rite of passage almost for, for cyclists. And we sort of had this idea to to take on the trip, but we'd become sort of a bit disillusioned by the negative press that the country was sort of filled with. And there's always sort of bad stories about, you know, how Great Britain was broken and everything. And so we sort of devised this idea of uh, sort of proving that there was still a, a level of generosity amongst people. And... It tied in with an idea of attempting this trip, but starting off with absolutely nothing at all. So we set off in just a pair of boxer shorts, no other possessions, no bikes, no clothes, no shoes, no money, no mobile phones. And so the, the plan was to just, you know, cover the distance and sort of see how we get on. And we'd allowed ourselves three weeks to, to complete the trip. And yeah, that's ba- that's basically the premise of the trip. It's one of those things that. um <laughs> Came about after a few too many beers in the pub, as most great ideas do. But um, this this one actually sort of came into fruition somehow.
0: Well, that's the funny thing, because there's the idea and then there's the actual, oh, I'm actually standing here in my underwear with my buddy and we're going to do this. That's a that's a big leap. So, I mean, at what point did you, you gave birth to the idea in the pub, but at what point were you like, yeah, really going to do this?
1: Well, I think thankfully, a lot of that credit can be given to my friend Ben, who I did the trip with, because although I, I wrote the book and sort of people sort of, assume that I'm the sort of mad instigator behind it he's probably more more crazy than I am and stuff. so <laughs> if, it, if, it, if it had been just me I probably would have woke up the next day and thought oh that was a crazy idea and, and then moved on and just got on with my life but once the sort of idea was set in his head there was no no backing down and I've i I'd been slightly reluctant about the the no closed idea I thought we could maybe try and get some clothes for free before we set off mm. so that we're still technically doing the whole trip for free, but, but, you know, at least be prepared with some free clothes. But he was a sort of all or nothing kind of thing. He was like, no, if we're going to do this, we're starting just our pants and, and that's it.
0: Well, that's funny. We can get into this later because he it sounded like he wanted to break the rules a couple times during the trip <laughs> or bend the rules a that's little right.
1: bit. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. He, he sort of was slightly more reluctant at various stages along the way and was more sort of interested in reaching the finish whereas I, I was yeah I was a bit of a stickler for wanting to stick exactly to you know the goals we'd set ourselves at the start and things but yeah I think he I think by the end he appreciated that we'd we'd been true to ourselves
0: <laughs> yeah I mean why bike it I guess would be one question because there are obviously you could have walked or done something else and why the no money thing, I know it was to prove that the people of uh, Great Britain are generous, but what was the, the real appeal there? I mean, was it just to see what would happen?
1: Cycling, uh, because as I say, because it's uh, become quite a sort of uh, prominent thing. And the good thing about Great Britain is that it's a it's a decent sized country, but it's small enough to be able to to cover it the whole distance within you know number of weeks i mean some people do this land store. it's basically it's a it's a thousand mile trip mm. really so it's quite sort of nice sort of round number and it, but it is some people do it in you know a week or so whereas to walk it it would take sort of several months and we were both self-employed at the time so we were able to you know decide to take time off work but our partners and, you know wives and girlfriends wouldn't have been so understanding if we'd said look we're going to we're going to walk this trip, and it's going to take us four months or whatever. So,
0: <laughs> right.
1: And then your other question about uh, the no money thing—that was purely because you can do a trip like this if you've you know got a budget and got a tent and everything. You can you can pretty much do the whole trip without speaking to a single person. You can you know cycle along, you pitch a tent, you know buy some food from the local pub, whatever. And you don't. There's no sort of interaction with the people, whereas spending no money you're relying on the generosity of people so you're forced to interact with people and we were doing odd jobs on we didn't want to you know take advantage of people so we were we were cleaning hotels washing dishes doing things sort of along the way and at every point for every meal for every night's accommodation for you know every stage away every time getting punctures getting bikes in the first place it would have to involve a interaction with the British public which is what we wanted to do and sort of paint a portrait really about how good sort of society is and stuff and to try and counteract the negative press that we get.
0: Yeah, it's funny because if somebody's listening right now and they're thinking, well, I don't have enough money to travel, I mean, this is... This is like a big slap in the face. I mean, it's, you can do it. It's, it's so liberating. I mean, one of the funniest parts of your book, I was laughing out loud throughout the book. So, I mean, you did a really great job. I want kudos on that. But there was a list where you actually took the list of what, you know, you're supposed to bring, quote unquote, when you go on a cycling adventure for this, for this route. And then the list of like what you guys had, which was a pair of underwear. It was just so funny. I mean, you you don't really need all that stuff and the gear and, and everything.
1: So that uh, that wasn't one of the main sort of reasons behind the trip in the first place, but but throughout the course of it and afterwards, that's probably what I took away most from it is about you need very little to actually have an adventure, and we proved it by you know covering the thousand miles by literally starting off with nothing, and by the end of it, we were fully kitted out with shoes, shorts, with various t-shirts, and we'd gone through you know five different bikes, I think, through the whole not necessarily bikes but five different forms of transport pedal transport and like you said that the list in the that i quote in the book it, it extends for about three pages and stuff and that's just that's a list of the essentials that you're supposedly supposed to take on a trip like this and so it, it certainly taught me that to have an adventure i mean because i've been sort of reading lots of stories before and I'm, i've always been keen on the idea of adventures but a lot of them are quite almost sort of un- unobtainable when you read about them because they're either set on you know the other side of the world or involve months and months of planning or you know thousands of pounds worth of equipment and so they're although they're fascinating and really expi- inspiring to actually follow you don't kind of think oh that's the kind of thing i can do whereas the sort of unique thing about our trip was that it is the kind of thing anybody could do i mean i'm not suggesting anyone but everyone would want to go and start trying to you know do a three-week bike trip without spending any money but it just shows that you, you really need very little to, to have it. I mean, even if you have a bike in the first place, it doesn't need to be a state-of-the-art carbon fiber road bike.
0: You can, you can do it with whatever you've got, and you can make do. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos, and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday Just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go to learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big! destinations on earth we're excited to partner with nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best off the beaten path destinations to visit and there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 nissan pathfinder with seven drive modes the pathfinder's available intelligent four x four is built for even the most epic journeys and it even has the best towing capacity in its class up to six thousand pounds and enjoy the ride. Along the way, learn more at nissanusa.com. Yeah, I mean at this point in your life when you when you started this adventure, had you done some big crazy adventure like this before or was this the first one?
1: This is the first uh, physical adventure. I mean, I've I've always bit of, you know, played football, soccer and done a bit of cycling, but I think in my whole life before this, I'd only done one bike ride over 30 miles. So I'd, I'd never done any form of sort of long-distance cycling. So that was all completely new to me. And as far as adventures go, i had done a fair bit of travelling. But all that was—I spent spent nine months in America driving around, but that was all in a car. And I've been to South America, but that was all using public transport. And so I've done a fair bit of travelling, but none of it I would sort of you know classify as a sort of proper adventure. And certainly none of it has been physical, really, in any way.
0: So you get out of the car and you're all the way in southern Great Britain. It's cold. You're standing there with Ben. You have your Union Jack boxers on. What are you guys thinking at that point because it's that's the real reality it must have hit pretty hard.
1: It did and thankfully we started in September and it was absolutely horrendous weather considering it's September. It was sort of a you know sort of horizontal wind and the the coast of Great Britain is very exposed anyway so it's always pretty pretty horrendous but it was a, this was a particularly miserable morning. And I think to be honest that sort of helped us in a way because there were very few people around. We started really early in the morning, and it meant that people, you know, felt sorry for us. I think because right. it wasn't we clearly weren't there on holiday because uh, we looked very out of place. And I think when you're standing there, feeling slightly sort of vulnerable and stuff, then you you your priorities are suddenly put into perspective. You think, right, we need to get some clothes, otherwise, you know, w- this trip is going to be very short, and we're gonna we're gonna, <laughs> we're gonna be in hospital, you know, in within minutes because it was you know particularly unpleasant. So put everything into perspective and we we got clothes within a relatively short space of time considering and stuff and then we moved on to the next thing about you know trying to get some bikes at some point and just sort of started walking so you your focus changes and you, you get what, what you need to, I suppose, as it goes along.
0: That's a hilarious part, too. I mean, you, you, you literally don't have bikes. I mean, you got to go get bikes. So it seems like an impossible thing. Like, how is somebody going to give us bikes? You know. <laughs> but obviously, you guys managed it. And you went through this whole experience doing this adventure without any money. Did this change where you rank money in your hierarchy of needs in your regular life?
1: It did. I mean, i'm I'm like everyone else. i mean when we when we got to the end, I was very delighted to get my to get my wallet and be able to you know buy people a drink and and things. So so on one hand, uh, I missed it, but it also made me think you know you don't need that and stuff, and it has made me appreciate what you can do without money, and the opportunities that you have and the actual sort of important things in life don't involve money. So yeah, no, it definitely did change my perspective and stuff. It's not something I necessarily want to repeat again. And, and yeah. I listened to your podcast the other day with, um, Rob Greenfield. I'm very hugely inspired by his stories, you know, going sort of penniless and, and everything, but it's, it's, it's tough and it's hard, hard way life. So I'm not going to claim that it's changed me and I want to sort of, you know, be able to live, live like that forever. But, um, no, it's definitely made me appreciate what fun and what adventures can we have with with very little money and possessions,
0: yeah, it takes a certain mindset as as you know through your experience, and sounds like I mean just from reading your book once you kind of get into the groove, it's just you're taking it one step at a time and really just tackling each sort of obstacle as it comes. I mean, does it sort of force you to be in the moment even more than ever? i guess it does
1: because we didn't have any sort of plan we didn't even have a route or anything in mind and stuff so we were having to adapt all of the time and if it was if we'd been familiar with where we were going we'd sort of think oh we don't need to get this here because we're coming across there we were learning as we were going along the first day was spent walking and eventually we got sort of um, a rusty bmx and a scooter which which was progress to us and that put things into perspective i mean if we'd started if you're going to cycle a thousand miles and that's what you have to start with you, you don't think there's any chance of doing it. but once you've been walking for a whole day and then you get something that triples your speed it changes <laughs> your whole perspective so it's, it's not about a bike your perception is then about having something that gets you from a to b quicker than it did before so it just gives you a whole new perspective of things and whereas on any other day of the year if you're presented with these you know rusty pieces of rubbish you'd think you'd think there's no way that's going to be any use to me whatsoever but yeah, they proved very handy for a couple of days.
0: Yeah, you never had thought you'd have so much enthusiasm for a rusty old bike and a scooter, right? <laughs> no, exactly. No, no. So what was the worst and the best part about having no money for a trip like this?
1: The worst part, I'd have to say, was going hungry. We went hungry sort of quite a lot, and we, we were very conscious that we didn't want to. But, I mean, it's, it's difficult to to go for three weeks without spending money without feeling like a, a scrounger. But we didn't want, we we really didn't want to be sort of taking advantage of people. So wherever possible, we would do something in return and we would offer to, to you know, help people out and things, which gave them something back in return. And it made it sort of easier for us. So that was quite tough. And there were plenty of nights where, you know, we were late into the night, had nowhere to stay and things. And it was looking a bit, you know, we weren't sure where we were going to end up. But um, we we're always quite positive that, that something would come about and thankfully that that sort of did carry through and we were able to find somewhere to sleep in one form or another every night I mean that varied from you know nice hotels to sleeping in a barn with a bull to sleeping on a canal boat to sleeping in a tent in a car park or a tent that we borrowed from someone to sleeping on a student's floor so um, every night was was very different stuff and we didn't know what to expect uh, each time or the people we'd meet or the or the meals we'd find the best moments the pure and simple generosity that we met from people. I mean, it's, it'd be hard to sort of single, you know, any person or event out because at every stage along the way, we were surprised by people's generosity and the fact that they were sort of willing to to come out and offer us, you know, food or clothing or somewhere to sleep. And there's a a lot of focus on charity trips and stuff and people doing trips for charity and things. And that's something we we didn't want to exploit we had a, a charity page set up purely because friends and family had said to us are you doing this for for charity so we sort of thought oh it'd be foolish not to do something so we set that up for friends and family but during the trip we never once said we're doing this thing cycling from to, Groats, to raise money for blah 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 because it puts a different slant on it and people then feel like they're almost got an obligation to support the charity and stuff and bizarrely probably during the whole trip probably only two people maybe mentioned maybe actually asked us no one actually seemed to a sort of care and b said it didn't sort of make sort of much difference to them it was all about they sort of saw the challenge for what it was and wanted to wanted to get involved and help us to reach our goal one interesting trip was uh, sorry we're in Dumfries which is a town in Scotland and we turned up at a hotel and the the guy there asked if we were doing it for charity and we had a got into a bit of a confusing dialogue with him because it turns out that he'd had some issues with people claiming to do something for charity in the past and then it turned out they were scamming him and stuff and so we kept sort of saying that we it wasn't about charity and he almost preferred the fact that we weren't raising money for charity because he, there was some sort of suspicion there which is quite quite strange so yeah, so just the immense generosity of people is the would be the the highlight for me.
0: Yeah, it completely changes the dynamic of your interactions, I guess, because it's it's you know it's not as if you're just strolling into a site and chit chatting with the person by the counter or whatever. I mean, you're really engaging them on a different level because you're you know you have to ask for things along the way, but you're also asking for it in exchange for work. And it just changes the whole nature of the conversation. (laughs) So I found it fascinating the way you profiled people in the book. I mean, you did a great job sort of highlighting the fact that, you know, the stars of this book, of your book, seemed to be humanity, really, and the people of Great Britain, how incredibly kind they were and giving along the trip. I mean, what was the most unexpected encounter for you?
1: A couple spring to mind. One um we were in um, Lancaster City Centre, and we decided to um, do some busking for for our lunch. And so we we set up a box. One of the other rules we set ourselves that so we couldn't handle money in any way. So we couldn't get money from people and then go and spend it on food or accommodation. That was we wanted to take money out of the equation completely. So we we set up a, a, a sign that said, "We don't want money. We just need food, please," or or something like that, on on in big letters. And then we we sang. Um, Christmas carols bizarrely because we thought oh something that we both know the words to um, and so we sang Christmas carols in September right. um, <laughs> in this town centre and um, people then came and started giving, we got donuts. And in fact, one guy gave us some donuts if we promised to stop singing. Um, (laughs) But then, as we were sitting there, um, a young, scruffy-looking sort of teenager, just come from school, approached us, and he'd gone into um, a pound shop and bought this carry bag that was overflowing with sweets and crisps and chocolate bars and drinks and everything. And he must have spent—I don't know—a lot of money in the shop, and and just handed us this carrier bag full of food and it, that was sort of completely unexpected because we'd had no sort of interaction with him at all all he'd done is you've know, seen us singing and sort of thought it looked like a good idea and so decided to get involved and it was just it just seemed quite out of place with the preconceptions you'd get from a, a, a scruffy uh, teenager i guess
0: yeah took you off guard
1: oh yeah, completely yeah we weren't we weren't expecting that from him. and then um, the personal highlight as, was a guy we met in carlisle who was a at a pub we this was one of the latest that we nights we found accommodation it was sort of half 11 at night and we we met this a drunk guy who who claimed to be a former hitman and he told us some pretty sort of scary stories about his former life and still got no idea of how much of he told us was was true but it was all incredibly convincing at the time and um, he bought us dinner and we went and slept at his house and had a pretty pretty terrifying night's sleep at his and um, he was a remarkable character and Again, it's the kind of person that you'd you'd sort of not expect that level of generosity, I guess, from, and it sort of, it made you look at people in a different way, certainly.
0: Obviously, people around you, even on the periphery, say you're having a discussion, like you mentioned, this teenager, they're inspired by the story. And I'm kind of fascinated by this idea of creating stories around your adventures. Uh, Last year, I did a hitchhiking race in Scotland, actually, and people gave us rides and they took us into their homes for dinner. I was totally blown away by the generosity of the people there. And I just kind of found, just through talking to people like you and personal experiences, when you have a compelling story around your adventure like you did, it seems like people really want to help because why do you, why do you think that is? It's just they're inspired by it or what, what is it about that?
1: I think it's the, the genuine excitement of the adventure wanting to be part of something. And also because it was such a, uh, an approachable trip it was a kind of thing that anyone could sort of see themselves doing i think it was that sort of accessibility to um somehow and let's with your scotland hitchhiking trip it's a kind of thing that that anybody could do so people would people want to sort of show their generosity and they want to get involved with something because it's they, you know they want to be a part of it and meeting people you you feel like you're if you get a chance to stay with someone you feel like you get to sort of meet them properly and they they want to sort of learn things about you at the same time, so it's a bit there's a bit of a two way thing going on then. Rather than just you know taking advantage of getting somewhere to sleep, you get to learn an awful lot about them, and they get to hear about you and stuff. And so they are, they are able to take away something from the experience too, which you don't get if you go and you know stay in a stay in a hotel or, or campsite and stuff. So it's that, I think that personal interaction is is very important.
0: What do you think was more fatiguing at at times because it's Mentally, it's exhausting to have to figure out your basic needs and interact with people and try to get those solved. But also, you have the physical part of of riding the bike and actually doing the physical work of riding all the miles. What was more fatiguing in that sense?
1: Yeah, well, certainly, it was the it was finding places to eat and find places to sleep that became the, the toughest bit, really. Uh, the cycling was almost sort of easy in comparison. Although there were certain days, it depends on time, there'd be end of days we've been you know had a horrendous day cycling up you know up and down hills it's particularly early on in uh, Devon and Cornwall where it's where our bikes were completely inadequate and the terrain was awful that then the cycling was tough but you're always thinking ahead and even when you're even when the cycling's okay you're still constantly sort of thinking oh where are we going to end up tonight and stuff so yeah it did sort of take the pressure off if if we'd you know had somewhere to sleep every night if we knew you know set off beforehand and knew exactly where we were going to be eating and sleeping then we probably would have fretted too much about cycling and moaned about every ache and pain and noise that the bike was making but all of that becomes of that becomes quite insignificant really when you're when you don't have anywhere to to sleep and eat and things so yeah, I'd I'd say that was the, the tougher part. And but weirdly, some people have, who've read the book have said that they think it just sounds way too easy because I because we don't moan and stuff about the um, <laughs> about the, the, physical, the physicality of the cycling. But the part the part of the reason why that I didn't want to sort of whinge about that in the book because it was a self imposed challenge and we we chose to put ourselves in this stupid sort of situation and stuff. So it, it would have seemed a bit sort of. Silly of me to then spend you know a, a big portion of the book moaning about how tough it was and what a what an unfortunate situation was when when we put ourselves in it in the first place. I didn't think people would have too much sympathy for me to be honest.
0: <laughs> right. I mean, you could just drop everything and you know hit the ATM. I mean, you didn't have your credit card with you, I guess, but I mean, you could have just gone home or whatever. So you're you're kind of in the thick of it on your own volition. So, okay, I wanted to ask you a little more about your book because one of the things that I found super empowering about what you've done. Is not only did you create this adventure, just made up the rules and went out and actually did it. You wrote a book about it, and I believe you self-published this book. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that is correct. Um, it was not something. The book was not something I, I set out to to do beforehand. Um, I I kept notes during the trip because I just to sort of compensate for my own fading memory. I just wanted to be able to remember it, and then sort of halfway through, I suddenly thought, oh, oh I'll, I'll give this a go. I've always sort of wanted to, you know, part of me in the back of my mind thought, oh, I'll give writing a book a go. I've n- no experience whatsoever of writing before. And this was my first book. Yes, yeah, so it wasn't until sort of after the trip that I decided to try and put it down on paper.
0: I mean, it seems like it's very successful. And I think it's just, I don't know, I find that really empowering, because it it really says that you can just step out of your front door, go have some crazy adventure and publish a book on your own and write about it and, you know, live in this kind of way. I mean, did you try to get it published? I mean, was, was there a certain point where you were just like, I don't need a publisher for this. I'm just going to do this on my own.
1: I'd love to pretend that that was all part of the plan. And I just wanted to be a maverick uh, self-published guy and do it completely independent and everything, but it's not true. I I spent, yeah, spent a, a good while trying to get published I came very close actually with a with a a big publisher but they rejected it because I I wasn't Ewan McGregor basically they said they loved the idea but if I was (laughs) if I was was Ewan McGregor they would have happily signed me up but I I told them there was not much I could do about that I'm afraid so yeah I had similar similar experiences from from other publishers and stuff so then um, sort of shelved it for a little while and then I thought then sort of looked into self-publishing a bit more and thought oh yeah I'll give this a go and yeah, I just got a bit, a bit lucky with the timing, really, and stuff. And it is a, it's an exciting industry to, to be in at the moment. It's, and it is very easy and completely free for anyone just to, to write a book and, and stick it out there. So, you know, 10 years ago, if I'd done this, I'd have had to, you know, do a print run of several thousand copies and have them sitting around in my, in my front room trying to sell them at book fairs and stuff. Whereas now you can just upload it on the internet and, and yeah, and it's ready to go.
0: Would you love to have an incredible Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Just a couple tips. I was wondering if you could provide any on the writing process or, you know, you have all these great conversations with people. I don't know if you remember them or if you just take notes. I mean, how did you handle documenting this adventure? Because also that's, that's a big responsibility. You could put a lot of pressure on yourself to, to kind of... Feel like how am I going to represent all these experiences on paper? (laughs) It's just so difficult.
1: Yeah, no, completely. Well, most of the book was written, you know, in the months as soon as we'd finished it, so it was all it was fresh in my mind. And because it was such a unique experience, every day was packed full of of different experiences and new feelings and everything. So it was all quite sort of prominent in my mind. So I was able to to get most of it on paper, sort of as it happened and and things. As I say, I jotted jotted down. sort of basic sort of uh, notes throughout the day of the key events that happened and the, the conversations that they won't be word for word exactly as they were, but the premise and the, the message and everything would, it would have been exactly sort of as it was and stuff. And, yeah, Ben, my companion and stuff, was, was there as well, and he was able to sort of shed light on a, on a few bits and um, remind me of things that happened. Camera, notebook and pen were, were permitted items that we set off with. And the reason behind those is we wanted something to be able to, you know, document the trip for ourselves. So I took a photo of the the people that helped us along the way. We weren't allowed to use the camera or notebook or pen in any way to gain us an advantage. They were purely there just to to document the trip for our own selves. So I I took took a portrait of most of the people that helped us, and that was then able to to help me, you know, in the writing process as well. To because I've got a visual visual reminder of the people as well, so that was definite a definite bonus.
0: After this experience, what does adventure mean to you?
1: It's given itself a much broader meaning, I think, since because beforehand, like like the publisher said, uh, McG- I'd been a big fan of Ewan McGregor's Long Way Round and Long Way Down trips, where he, he goes around the world on his motorbike and stuff, and I found that absolutely fascinating to watch his the TV documentary about it, and but it always it just seemed Unachievable. It was something beyond beyond my capabilities. The, the the time involved and the money and the preparation was something that I couldn't do. As doing this trip, although it was three weeks, it was still three weeks. It was something that anyone could do, and it was something that you literally could do. With no preparation. Step out your front door, and you can have a an amazing adventure. And even that three weeks is still quite a long time, and you don't need that that amount of time. It's possible to have an adventure you know, a day of the week, just from getting out there, trying something new, putting yourself out of your comfort zone slightly and and trying a new experience.
0: Yeah, well, you've kind of had some other adventures since then in, in different ways, because you're writing and you have other books out now, one called Every Day is a Holiday, which I started reading just a couple of days ago. And Life's a Beach, you want to share a little bit about those books as well, because they're, it's interesting concepts.
1: Yeah, they're sort of very different books in the sense that they're uh, it's technically still an adventure of sorts, but very different to my my bike ride so i'd i'd sort of got after finishing the trip got very settled into family life had three children in a sort of fairly short space of time, and suddenly found myself as a
0: congratulations
1: thank you very much thank you um I was suddenly <laughs> a, a family man and stuff and so sort of the priorities changed and sort of thought that adventure like especially in the in the sense of the free country trip was 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 that those days were behind me and i wouldn't be able to 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 go on a trip like that but um yeah i wanted to sort of see what adventure could be had in sort of day-to-day life so so set myself a challenge of celebrating all of the different quirky unusual holidays that are on the calendar for for the days of the year and try and try to sort of incorporate those into my into my daily life so that that was sort of the basis of my most recent two books it's not to say that i won't be able to have another physical adventure at at some point but um these were just basically sort of to prove that even the most sort of mun- fairly sort of mundane days and, and normal life, daily lifestyle, you can still, there's still adventure to be found in it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a of epic proportions.
0: Yeah, we could do a whole other podcast on the, the concept of celebrating the everyday being a holiday, I mean, I guess that, you know, that's a whole other book, but I just, if you could share a little tidbit on one of the days you celebrated, maybe just to get us a little bit of uh, a little insight into what you've been up to.
1: There's various websites that have them all listed. There's just no end of them and stuff. I mean, I learned a lot of really interesting things and a lot of really trivial things and stuff. In fact, uh, I even set up my own holiday. One of, one of the days was create your own holiday day, which is a day that <laughs> which is definitely people to create their own holidays. So so that gave me yeah. complete freedom to, to choose something that I wanted to. So I I created the day. Well, in fact, it's not a it's a day, it's a night. It's called Stay Up All Night Night, um, because all of the <laughs> holidays seemed to be days. And I thought the night was being a bit neglected and stuff, whereas, you know, half of our <laughs> life is the night. So I thought maybe we should be sure. a bit more appreciative of that. So, so, I, I, so there's an official day now called Stay Up All Night Night. Which occurs on the the second Saturday of of May every year. Hmm. Which um, I wanted it to be a, a Saturday so that because most people sort of work Monday to Friday, so I didn't want it to be a, a school night. Um, and so the idea is you stay up all night on and do whatever you like. You can be just you know catching up on housework. It could be writing a book. It could be just watching films. Yeah, just it just get you've just gained an extra twelve hours if you, in the year and stuff just by staying. And it's yeah. So I've done that for the last a couple of years it's, it's tough to be honest i mean last year i it, um, i actually sort of forgot about it until i forgot it was my own holiday until i came back and checked my emails and turned out someone someone else was celebrating it too and they sort of asked me what i was what i was going to be doing i just got because I, so I was a wedding photographer and i just got back from photographing a wedding and logged on to my computer and someone had sent me an email saying that they were they were going to be celebrating stay up night night and what was i going to be doing so trying keep myself awake till the morning and stuff, which, um, wasn't as easy, but that's something I plan to plan to carry on. It's just a, a, just a fun thing. So yeah, it's just various things like that. And yeah, it's, it's a bit of a strange concept and it's quite sort of hard to explain, but it's just a a way of finding, finding excitement in, in everyday life, really.
0: Yeah. It's funny. Your kids must love that holiday because kids never want to go to bed. Right. So it's like, Oh, we get to stay up all night and it's a holiday.
1: (laughs) I haven't told them that yet because I think they probably would be very up for that. And I think that could could make uh, when they're a little bit older, they m- it might be more entertaining. But at the moment, I think trying to trying to entertain three under under sevens for for an entire night would be would be pretty hard work. So <laughs> I think I'll keep that one a, a secret for four years.
0: Yeah, good call. That's that's not much of a holiday for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. Last couple questions after an adventure like this. I mean, what is it like, you know, I guess immediately right after, because is there a bit of a I don't know. It's just a totally different life. You're kind of shifting gears from one speed to a completely other level.
1: Yeah, you, there's a definite lull after doing something like that, and um, yeah, you do sort of hit a bit of a low, but, but then equally, you're still on the buzz and stuff, and remembering and recounting the different bits. I mean, when Ben and I meet up, and we still, still talk about things, and there's still bits of it that make us laugh and stuff, and there'll be anecdotes when I'm just having a conversation with a person that I've never met. And it will remind me of something that happened, even though it was only a three week trip, there's just so much happened in such a short space of time that it's, there's experiences that you'll, that you stick for forever. And that's the same with it, with any events you have, you, it becomes, it becomes a highlight of your life to some extent to the, di- the different bits and stuff. And there's experiences and memories that you'll, you'll keep with you forever and stuff. So although you do get a lull, you still always got those memories and the, and the, the the things that you learn from from doing an adventure like that so but yeah and then also then you can counteract the lull by by thinking by planning what to do next and stuff and so there's that I mean as soon as I got back from the from the bike ride my 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 wife became pregnant we found out she was pregnant just a few weeks later and stuff so that suddenly gives you some changes your focus again you've got something else to look forward to and um, plan for and things so the same with any adventure as soon as you finish you sort of you know, start thinking about the next thing and, and looking <laughs> what happens next, I guess.
0: Sure. Uh, in in the travel space or the adventure space, or maybe even life, I mean, what's something you've always wanted to do that you haven't yet?
1: Good question. I, to begin with, I, when we set off, we wanted to do, try the free country concept again, somewhere different. Like we talked about doing it across American stuff, but I, I don't know whether that will happen, to be honest, because I mean, it's, I've, I've spent a bit of time in American stuff, so I feel like I'd need to to try a different country. And it's tricky one. It's a tricky one, to be honest.
0: Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess time will tell. And you're writing these great books. And I really appreciate you sharing the work with everybody and sharing the adventure because it's inspiring on many levels. I really, really loved Free Country. And thanks for taking the time to write it and for taking the time to be here. The last thing I would ask you is, uh, do you have any advice for anybody thinking about doing something like this?
1: Just, the, it just needs to be be done there's always sort of excuses about about time and money and everything and make do with with what you have and and have an adventure if 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 there's something holding you back find a way around that obstacle as i say just to get outside and explore even if it's not a, a big epic adventure but to get out on your bike a bit more or go for more walks or explore your surroundings and stuff and yeah and just sort of see what excitement happens when you when you you know open yourself up to new opportunities that's basically i think the main advice is to just just the best way to do an adventure is to you know take that first step and to to begin it
0: yeah cool i really appreciate your time george and loving your work so keep doing what you're doing thank you so much
1: thanks for having me on jason yeah thanks for helping spread the word with with all of these podcasts you know it's great stuff
0: absolutely i really appreciate that take care There you have it. Thank you to George once again. Hey, are you going to start a trip in your underwear (laughs) like George did? I don't don't think I'm doing that anytime soon, but hey, never say never. (laughs) Never say never. Okay. I want to give a shout out to... Oh, wait a minute. I'm one of those guys that has like 40 tabs open on my browser. There it is. Cammy... She said, uh, hey, Jason, I was wondering if you ever hear from anyone who has been taking advantage of all the virtual options to travel during these pandemic months. I have used numerous ways to virtually travel over the past pandemic year. My quest was to find as many ways that I can be traveling while staying safely at home. Uh, Her first tip was uh, listening to every traveling podcast she could find. And she said this one was one of her favorites. So thank you. She said uh, this helps her dream of places where she can't go. Right now, so that makes sense. Travel podcast, tip number one. Tip two, uh, use my stimulus money to buy an Oculus Quest VR headset. There are a number of great VR apps that take me to faraway places. So that's her second tip this idea of having a VR headset. I don't own one of those, I have no idea what that experience is like. But if it's called virtual reality, I guess it's virtually reality. <laughs> okay. Tip number three, she said she downloaded something called the Virtual Camino Santiago app. On her phone. So every day she said, I would walk around my neighborhood adding the miles that would get me virtually to Santiago in Spain. I would listen to podcasts from people who have traveled there. So that's pretty cool. And last tip she has a stationary bike with a big screen and cycles through different countries. I know you can do this sometimes at the gym. Uh, So there you go. Some travel tips, some virtual travel tips from Cami. Thank you for sharing those. And by the way, if you want to get in touch, share some tips, just say hi, share some advice share some love, whatever. Jason at zero to travel.com is my email. Read all the emails, read all the reviews and thank everybody for reaching out. Of course, you can always leave me a voicemail as well and I'll respond to all of those and the links to all of this is always in the show notes so you can access any of the stuff there in case you forget. So, okay, I am going to reach into the quote drawer to leave you with some inspiring words. My drawer is now getting filled with receipts and headphones and all kinds of things. Maybe you can hear the, the mess in the background. I'm digging. I'm digging. I'm digging right now. Let me pull something out of here. Come on. What is this? All right. This, now, this one's torn. Here we go. I love this. This is from uh, Jalal Ad din Rumi, who said, There's a voice that doesn't use words. Listen. Mm. I gotta read that again there is a voice that doesn't use words listen Maybe with that have a wonderful day and I'll see you next time peace and love to you and yours this podcast has been brought to you by zero to Travel.com. ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality